to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com thanks for tuning in sluts and scholars is a sex positive shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter while we love to give advice and resources please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy Hey, slutty scholars, just a little heads up for this episode. This episode talks about different sexual and reproductive parts from a medical and diagnostic perspective. In the field of medicine and mental health, they still operate on an outdated gender binary system, meaning that they separate dysfunctions into male and female sexual function issues. Because of that, part of this episode uses terms like male to refer to people with a penis and female to refer to people with a vulva to describe their biological sex assigned at birth. But remember, gender is a construct. There are countless gender varieties, and it is my hope through my work and trainings that I offer that I can be part of better educating medical and mental health staff to be able to provide better, more inclusive care to all humans with bodies. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. My name is Nicoletta von Heidegger, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And this week, I am welcoming Lamia Gabal. She is a board-certified urologist who has been in practice in Southern California for over 20 years. She is also the founder and president of Prestige Medical Group, which specializes in regenerative and reconstructive urology. She treats both men and women for their most intimate wellness needs, including sexual dysfunction and incontinence. She and her associates really enjoy helping individuals live fuller and healthier lives by enriching their sexual wellness. Welcome. Thank you so much, Nicoletta. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so I'm familiar with what a urologist does, but for people listening, why would someone go to a urologist? That's a really good question. I have to tell you that I had no idea what a urologist is or does. I hope you do now. Well, pretty much. I mean, you know, kind of most of it by now. I know. But yes, very, very intimately familiar with all of it now. When I was a third year medical student, it was kind of given to me as a rotation. And all I could think was like, this is crazy. Who wants to play with pee all day long? I don't want this rotation. I tried to give it away. No one would take it. They all kind of felt the same. And then when I was on the rotation. I was like, this is amazing. I love this. And it was a wonderful specialty to be in. And what we deal with are a lot of very intimate issues. Like you said, in my introduction, we deal with urinary incontinence, sexual function. We also are, you know, we're surgeons of the urinary tract, which a lot of people don't realize. And so we deal with urologic cancers like kidney cancer, bladder cancer. We also deal with kidney stones. And so what I really loved about that rotation way back when, third year in medical school, is that you know I got to really help people. I, I noticed that urologists really help people. It's life-changing, the things that we are able to help our patients with. And it's a pretty good lifestyle because it's not 24 hours on call with horrible things like doing appendectomies in the middle of the night. And first and foremost, really was that uh, there needed to be more women. When I came into the field in 2001 is when I finished my urology residency, 4% of board-certified urologists were women. And we are still woefully low in our numbers in urologists. It's still kind of a, a boys' club, but 
we're, we're creeping up on 10% of board certified urologists that are female at this time. So, um, so we're filling a need. Definitely. I think when I think of urologist, I often think of like, okay, that's a good person to send a referral to for a guy that's struggling sexually, but it's also sure. for people with vaginas. Um, Absolutely. How can a person with a vagina decide if they need to go to an OBGYN or to a urologist? That's also an amazingly good question. So my subspecialty is female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. And that is um, usually it's more training, more testing to um, have that subspecialty board certification. And so basically that means I specialize in vaginas, but I also did do, um, yeah, yeah, proud owner. And, um, and that just means that, you know, I, 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 this is my area of expertise, but also I did a six year residency dealing with, with men and penises. So, you know, urologists, I think are very specially poised to be able to deal with both sexes. Um, it does cross a lot in terms of, um, you know, gynecology with urology when it comes to certain issues in women. And so especially FPMRS, which is my subspecialty, the female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. So you can actually come to that specialty from either urology or, um, or from gynecology. And it may also kind of be known as urogynecology. So we do a lot of reconstruction of the vagina when after a few babies, you know, things kind of fall out. And, and truthfully, anyone who has this subspecialty is equally as, um, I think is equally as competent in doing these kinds of surgeries. But I think as urologists, we also have the extra training in the in the voiding dysfunction piece of it. I do, um, you know, we did a lot of training in neuroradiology, and um, and and so if someone is having recurrent urinary tract infections, if they're wetting the bed, if they're having um, you know trouble with with holding their urine during the day or night, you know, those are things that they should be seeing um, either if anyone who's FPMRS coming from urology or gynecology. Now, if someone is seeing blood in their urine, then that is something that they should actually see a urologist for it because we're the ones who are kind of more trained to, to deal with that kind of stuff because that could be urinary tract infection. It could also be urinary tract cancer. And so um, as urologists, we're the ones who, who kind of deal with that. And of course, sexual function in men, but now more, more popular even, and, and more of us are getting more training on this, is sexual function in women. Something that has frustrated me is in my practice is that when I have to refer folks out to an OBGYN, I usually refer them to a, a specialist, whether that be a pelvic pain specialist um, or someone who specializes in some kind of like sexual wellness. Because a lot of the general OBGs I know have had like no training um, yeah. and are not required to have training in human sexuality. Um, yeah. So in your practice, What's been most helpful in learning more about the sex stuff? Because even though urology yeah. might indirectly deal with it, like I know sometimes sex is, might not be talked about. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And unfortunately, that there is a, a huge shortage of that information and training. And people are more trained in general OB, general gynecology, general urology, because mm -hmm. that's kind of what they they specialize in at, at the universities. And then maybe after that, you may go off to do a fellowship. 
in sexual medicine or in FBMRS or in cancer or stones or, you know, those kinds of things where people then, then further specialize. Um, I, I did forget to talk about pelvic pain. I'll, I'll tell you more about that in a minute where, where I stand on that too. Cause I think in my practice, we really do help so many people, men and women, um, you know, with, with, uh, pelvic pain, chronic pelvic pain. But in terms of what has helped me to get more training, honestly, it's just being open to it and, and learning about new techniques from different individuals who are offering these things, you know, that they found in their practice. And so you kind of learn as you go and, you know, Gaines Wave, I think is how we connected. And that has been such a boon to my practice. Um, Gaines wave is shock waves traditionally to the penis for erectile dysfunction. It's regenerative medicine. And, um, now there is something called semi wave, which is the same idea. We do shock waves to the clitoris and the vulva, and it really helps to regenerate those tissues. I also have a laser in my office that helps to regenerate vaginal tissues. And so I've taken a special interest in this stuff. I have to say probably as I've gotten older, because I want to get benefit from it as well. It's kind of self-serving, but I help all my friends and I help all my patients. And um, so you just to keep an open mind and really want to help people with this kind of stuff that's so prevalent. And some people, I mean, I have to say, even urologists aren't comfortable talking about this stuff, um, but I have no filter. So I, I love talking about this and I love helping people with it. And so something that you mentioned that you do before is, is reconstructive stuff. And when I think of reconstruction, I think of, it can either be a medical necessity and, or something that's just for the physical look on the therapeutic side of things. I've really tried champion supporting folks in loving their body as it is not comparing themselves to what the perfect penis or vagina is. Would love to talk about what are some reasons people go into reconstruction for medical need and what are some sure. reasons people go into it for just the aesthetics? Yeah. So, um, you know, there are most of what I do is medical um, because there are many women who come to me who are unable to urinate, say, because their mm-hmm. bladder has dropped out of the vagina or they get urinary tract infections because the rectum and the bladder have now dropped. And how does um, that happen, the dropping? So that's called prolapse, pelvic organ prolapse, super common. Um, It runs in families. It has to do with a few big heads coming through that vaginal canal that weakens things. And then hysterectomy can sometimes be associated with prolapse. Extra weight can put pressure on the organs and cause things to come down. And then um, having a job or, you know, like a UPS driver where you're lifting hundreds of pounds on a daily basis. Or I have a, a one patient who's a professional bodybuilder and she had really bad, you know, prolapse. And so, you know, all that weight puts pressure down on those organs. So we, you know, those of us who do the reconstruction, our goal is to get things back up there so that they stay hopefully the rest of their life so that functionally things are working better. And that has a lot to do with sexual function as well. I mean, when things are kind of wide open and gaping, it's harder for the woman to have sexual pleasure. It's harder for her partner. Um, Maybe, you know, if they're engaging in heterosexual sex, it would be harder for her partner to have, um, you know, to have sexual pleasure because things aren't tight enough in that area. So then that kind of leads me more to maybe the aesthetics or the elective side of some of this stuff. Um, You know, many people will come to me seeking, you know, maybe it's not, it's functioning fine in terms of their urinary tract, 
they're mm-hmm. peeing and pooping okay, um, how their pooping can be affected by prolapse as well. Mm-hmm. But um, but they just want to enjoy sex better. And, you know, if things are looser, not as tight, it's very difficult for women to have vaginal orgasm. Um, if there's not, you know, again, there's a lot that goes into that. You know, if there's going to be clitoral um, stimulation at the same time, if you're, they're only having internal vaginal stimulation, I mean, there's so much that goes into that. But, um, but yes, tighter can be better if that's a goal. And, um, and so in my practice, there is some elective stuff that goes to that, like vaginoplasty, which would be more elective, not necessarily to make it prettier, but tighter and more functional sexually. We also do P-shot in my office uh, and O-shot, sorry for women. So P-shot is for erectile dysfunction. O-shot is taking PRP and injecting it into the um, O-spot, you know, the G-spot. And then that can help for sexual function as well. And then, yes. So that can, what is that doing? It's like eliciting, making it like larger, more prominent for more pleasure or increasing the nerve response. Increasing the nerve response. So it's not like a filler per se because that the swelling goes down. Um, but initially there is some swelling in that area, but the swelling goes down. And then what you're doing is you're trying to rebuild younger, healthier, more sensitive tissue. So nerve endings, blood vessels, collagen, elastin, by getting those healing factors, you know, right there to where it's supposed to be. So we do a lot of, you know, we do some PRP in our office, mostly for men with ED, but, um, I really do know that it has helped many women, um, in terms of female sexual function as well. And so the tightening that you're talking about, I noticed myself like have a response to it because I think in my, in like the sex positive sex therapy world, it's like tightness isn't, you know, a a thing, like it shouldn't matter. You know, everyone's vagina is different. And I'm hearing that like, there can be physical needs and reasons why someone would want that for their body for pleasure reasons. There absolutely can be. Yes. I mean, I know I, I have to say, before I understood a lot of this, I would get really upset at these ads. I actually walked into an OR once. I'd just seen an ad that said, women, um, are you having trouble finding a partner? Maybe it's because your vagina does not look pretty. I mean, something to that extent. I was Yeah, some so and I'm like, fuck those men, like yeah. patriarchal bullshit. I was like, so pissed off. And so I walked into my OR, which was mostly men, you know, female patient was asleep. And I said, I have a question for you guys. Has any one of you guys ever turned down a vagina because it wasn't pretty enough? Yeah, I didn't think so. You know, I was like, you know, but and what does that even not, mean? Like, there's a vagina it, for everyone. Exactly, everyone is different. I mean, vaginas look different, penises fit different. You know, are, are different. To be honest, I'm not sure any of those organs are very beautiful. But if someone wants to think that they are, you know, then that, I'm that's guessing you've seen a lot. I see hundreds on a weekly basis. But as I've grown and, and learned more about this, you also learn that, I mean, sometimes it's a disparity. Some women, you know, if they're teeny tiny and their partner is gigantic, they will have pain with intercourse because that penis is just too big to fit in that vagina. And the the opposite is also true. Like after a few big heads come through the vaginal canal, um, things are looser and um, it's difficult for the woman to have pleasure if 
a smaller size organ is going in there and not rubbing against the G spot, you know? So there are, there's physical reasons for, for that tightening as well. It's not just for aesthetics. And I would say that the aesthetics part of it probably has to do more with the outside, more the labiaplasty part of it, where I do get people who come to me, women who come to me who say that I don't like how it looks. Everyone wants to look like a porn star. I mean, that's what it is. And I tell them, you know, there's a reason they're porn stars. I mean, you know, there's a reason that they are porn stars. It's because, you know, apparently everyone thinks this is an ideal and it's not necessarily an ideal. It's not realistic. I mean, if you're going to make that an ideal, then all of the very skinny models and the, and the print ads and all these things that for years, this is why women have developed eating disorders and, and all those kinds of things. I mean, it's not, it's not normal um, to want to look like that. That's why those people are in those positions. I've had countless men come to me saying my penis is too small. And I look at them and I'm like, no, your penis is quite normal and average. Well, that's not what it looks like in porn. You know, then why do you think they're in porn? I mean, that's the reason. Yeah, they're they're performers doing sex stunts. Exactly. They are the performers. And so I think, I mean, I, I do try to instill that in my patients. Um, there is still a population of people who want it for their own self-confidence. I mean, there are men and women who have, you know... Um, who have liposuction and who have breast augmentation or breast reduction or, you know, and, and I think if they're doing it for healthy reasons, I think it's okay. Um, but I, I, I try not to tell people that this is what you need. And I don't tell them that this is what you need to get a partner. That is absolutely not, not correct. Yeah. I feel so mixed about it because if someone comes in my office, whether it be changing their body with tattoos and piercings or hair dye or, um, sure. or Botox, or I guess now labiaplasty or breast augmentation. Yeah. Like, yes, I want to support them as they are, but also if they want to make a change to feel better in their body, it's not for me to decide for them, but I, I feel so mixed about it. I know. And it's hard to give advice on that, but, but I think if, if it is for them personally to feel better about it, it depends on what their goals are. And, um, and I think there are, you know, there are some people who, who keep having these things done thinking, well, just this next thing is going to make me happy. This next thing is going to, you know, is, is going to be what does it. And, and then that's when I think it really is a disorder at that point. But if it's just a, a small thing that has been bothering them for a long time, and it's something that they really feel like they need in order to have that self-confidence then I, I try to support them and help them through that. Are there things that can be done to the like vast clitoral structure to like make that even more powerful? So I mean, I guess again, the G, a lot of people think the G spot is like the backside yeah. nerve endings of the clitoris. So maybe that's people, getting at it. Yeah. People don't realize the clitoris is almost the exact same size as a penis, but it's yeah, all it's huge. internal. It's just not external. So what you can see externally is the head of the clitoris, which is analogous, which is like the same as the head of the penis. 
Um, but all of those other structures, the side of the penis, everything are inside the, the vulva, inside kind of deeper in there. And they all need to be stimulated. But OSHA in women helps for that spot that's just inside um, the vaginal wall at the anterior, at the very top of the vagina, just inside, just um, in front of the, the urethra. I'm doing hand gestures because that's the only way <laughs> that I know how to talk. It's that come hither motion that we've talked about. So if the person's on their back and has a vagina in a couple inches and as if you were saying, come here with your fingers. <laughs> yes. And almost would make them feel like they might have to pee. That's another little tip that when it's stimulated, because it's right there where the urethra meets the bladder. So that's a part of it, but it's a very small part of it. And so the Femi wave, which I was alluding to earlier, which is shock waves, to the um, clitoris and the surrounding structures of the vulva, kind of internal, external, um, helps to regenerate those tissues as well. And quite honestly, I mean, anything that anyone does that's heart healthy is going to be like penis and vagina healthy, right? So, so eating, uh, eating antioxidants, exercising, um, you know, trying to avoid certain medications, um, staying at a good weight, because all of those things really do help at a healthy weight. Um, all of those things really do help in terms of blood flow, you know, not smoking, not doing drugs. Those are so important. Those things are so important. I had a patient come in the other day who smokes a pack a day and I said, you know, if you want to get better, first, please stop smoking because you are not doing your body any any service by preventing blood flow to your organs. And that's what it yeah. does. Um, and so I don't operate on anyone who still smokes because it's going to affect how the surgery comes out. Um, it's or really just maybe the, the implications of like how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's not a healthy thing to be doing, to be putting into your body. So, um, so all those things are great for the genitals, you know, mm -hmm. and helps for blood flow. This episode is sponsored in part by Pour Moi, French for For Me. The Intensity by Pour Moi is an intimate health exercise and stimulation device that exercises and tones your pelvic floor muscles and your vagina. Pour Moi is offering our listeners $25 off of Intensity when you go to pourmoi.com and enter code S&S &S at checkout. The Intensity device combines pelvic floor health and with both internal and external vibration can help with pleasure and orgasm too for people who need it, aka go see someone like Dr. Gabal first to see if this is the right fit for you and your body and what it needs. Intensity teaches you how to properly perform kegels and see what that feels like, and it also has this awesome vibrating component for your pleasure. This product lets you balance feeling good with working hard. Things like the natural process of aging, high-impact exercises, and childbirth, just like we're talking about in this episode, can take a toll on the health of the muscles that surround the vagina, causing them to lose tone over time. And studies have demonstrated that toned pelvic floor muscles, as long as they're not too toned, can increase the power and intensity of vulvar orgasms. So go to pourmois.com and enter code S and S at checkout. That's $25 off when you go to P-O-U-R-M-O-I.com and use promo code S-A-N-D-S. Pourmois.com, code S and S. Now back to the episode. 
So usually I would refer to a urologist to like rule out anything going on physically, sexually related before we address like the mental stuff. So I do get a lot of folks in my practice who are struggling with like self-diagnosed quote unquote premature ejaculation, which I prefer to call like coming before you want to and erectile dysfunction. So struggling to get and maintain an erection the way you want it to be. Um, So usually I'll send them to somebody like you and say like, Hey, let's look at what's going on physically first. So we can see if we need to address any of that. And then we can talk about how this is affecting you, you know, emotionally and, and socially and relationally. So what are some things that you would be looking for to see if stuff like that is physically caused? So, um, what we call premature ejaculation is defined as um, ejaculating um, after I think it's three thrusts within the vagina um, and no more than that. There's, there's, there's some very um, specific definition for, for PE, although I don't like to use that definition I, like you. I feel like it should be if it's something, if it's something that's causing someone distress for themselves yeah. or for their relationship. Right. And it and, can be in not a vagina either. Absolutely. Sorry. It just, if it's thrusting three. Yeah. No, but I want to, I think it's important to say because in the, in the DSM, which is basically where I would diagnose like psychological stuff, yeah. they specify um, vaginal penetration. So sure. like in our, in our fields, there is still this like, you know, pretty hetero view of like yeah. what's possible that that's the only that that's the only way possible and you and yeah, I know like that when, that it's a, not, when it's an issue right yeah yeah so if it's an issue for anyone you know it's causing them and their partner distress then it's something that we should look at and um I mean I I have to say there are a lot of what we might call dysfunctions that don't cause anyone any distress. So then those people don't need to be looked at. You know, it's fine if if they can't have an erection um, or they ejaculate what might be thought to be, you know, too quickly. Um, But as far as if it is something that's causing someone distress, the first things we look at for PE um, would be what medications they're on. Because quite honestly, I've had men come to me who are taking maybe Propecia uh, for baldness, and they don't even realize that it can affect their testosterone levels. Um, And it really does affect their erections and their ejaculating. Um, I'll check testosterone levels to see where where they're at with that. If a man is uncircumcised, that can definitely affect his sensitivity level because um, that's one thing when I am... When I'm counseling a man who has had sex, um, any kind of sex, before they've been circumcised, and then if they're coming in for a circumcision and they're planning on being sexually active after, um, it's different. It's very different. It's less sensitive because on a man who's uncircumcised, when you pull back that foreskin, those tissues are almost like maybe the inside of the vagina, the inside of the mouth. Those nerve endings are much more sensitive. But if you take off the foreskin, um, then those tissues are now going to be like the back of your hand. It's what we call keratinized tissue. So the nerve endings are more protected and um, they're going to be less sensitive. Is it an issue? It's usually not an issue if that's the only way the man knows to have sex is when he's circumcised. Um, but if they're uncircumcised, I, I actually have had some men who've chosen to be circumcised. Usually it's for other issues. Usually it is for... Um, 
it would be for the, the foreskin becoming too tight, them not being able to urinate, uh, urinary tract or penile infections, you know, because of those issues with the foreskin. But I have had a couple of men who've said that they have enjoyed that a little bit of decrease in sensitivity because it's helped them with their premature ejaculation. So that sometimes can play into it. But, um, and then the spine is a huge player when it comes to both ejaculating as well as erections. And many people don't realize that. Like all of the nerves that go to the bladder, the bowels, the penis, all come from the low back. And I have had so many patients where they have spine issues and they don't realize that that really is the cause for their dysfunction. Unfortunately, it's not something that can generally be fixed. It's something that if it's addressed, then they can help to prevent it from becoming worse. Um, but if and they can that go, be the same for folks who complain of um, lasting longer than they want to? Same thing with the spine. Definitely can be a spine issue or diabetes. Absolutely, diabetes there for decreased sensation. Those are all the things that we check for with our blood work and our physical exam. And cyclists, they have a problem with this as well, especially these guys who do the road cycling or whatever for hours on end. It pushes on those nerves on the perineum and can cause some dysfunction. So for for erectile dysfunction, you know, we understand that a lot better in this day and age than we do premature ejaculation or delayed or prolonged ejaculation. Um, but I tell those patients that, you know, 20 years ago when I was in my residency, we did not understand erectile dysfunction very well. And so we'd just say, I don't know, go home, try this, have a glass of wine, maybe it'll help. And, um, you know, there was a, an herbal medicine called Yohimbine that we used to tell men to try that really does, doesn't do much of anything. Uh, but then with the when onset do you, of, When do you suggest them going to someone like a sex therapist if there's like nothing physically going on? So I've had several patients where um, I, you know, their testosterone is normal. You know, I can tell on my exam, they have erections, you know, cause when I examine them, they're, they're fine. And, uh, you know, there's so many different, and it's fine if they have an erection in front of their urologist, that's okay. Um, because it shows me that the machinery is working, yeah. um, you know, and it comes down to either what's going on in their head or interpersonal relationship issues. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I will tell them, you know, I've, I think we've done all that we can with the, with the machinery here and your machinery is working great. So now I think it's time for you to be talking either with your partner or without to a therapist, because that is where I think the issue lies at this point, if it's important for you, you know, but we do rule out all of the, the physical, the physical issues. And, and again, for erectile dysfunction, um, spine issues, diabetes, medications, those things uh, play a huge part in in the dysfunction. I don't know. Um, I'm not as familiar with your practice, but I, within my field, a lot of folks have expressed some um, frustration with some urologists, just like without even doing the test, just kind of quickly being like, "Here's Viagra" or "Here's Cialis." Yeah. Um, and sometimes I kind of like, not that I like that approach. I think it's important to do in depth assessment, but sometimes it's good to like address the anxiety so someone knows that they can just do it. But what are your thoughts on, um, on medications and things like that and, and when to use them and maybe when to, when to wait and try other things first? Yeah. 
Well, especially, especially if I have a younger person or someone where all of a sudden they've had this dysfunction come up and it wasn't kind of a gradual thing, then we really want to rule out any medical issues that could be contributing to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But usually on the intake uh, and on the exam, you know, I can tell there's some medical reason for it, right? Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. again, those things can't be fixed. Even if they came in with a medical issue, I can't fix it. Um, I can't fix their diabetes. I, I, you know, I, I will. I will make sure that they're seeing someone for it. But um, but so, what do you say? You're just like this could be caused by diabetes. I'm going to refer you to someone with the health stuff, and then maybe yeah. that could help. Yeah, and I would say quote most most frequently, they've already come to me from their primary care doctor, so that's all being addressed. Mm-hmm. And um, and now they want help with the erection part of it. And so I'll talk to them about what all the options are, including. Like I said before, you know, Gainswave, if they wanted to try regenerative therapy as opposed to a medication. So it's shock waves to the penis, and it's like usually six treatments once a week for six weeks we do in our practice. And it sounds awful. It's not as bad as it sounds. It's not um, – you know, it's not too painful. There are some so people I know this? who are into that. So maybe it's yeah, people would like it. They might, they might sign up for it just yeah. that. Don't give me the numbing doc. I'm fine. <laughs> I know. But it, it actually helps to regenerate tissue. It helps to regenerate nerve endings and blood vessels. And, and it's great for maintenance, especially for some of our younger guys. Um, it works so well for sensitivity to the penis. It works for maintenance. It helps for them to achieve and maintain 100% of an erection longer and stronger. So who would, um, be you know, the, um, who would benefit most from it? Like what kind of folks would um, really the see guy, the, the change? The guys probably in their late thirties to like, like, like late fifties, um, the, you know, who are noticing a little bit of difficulties achieving and, and, and maintaining hundred percent of an erection. They haven't yet tried meds or maybe they need the Viagra, you know, every so often, but not all the time. And I usually tell them that I can get them back about 10 years in terms of their function. I can, we can turn the back, the clock back about 10 years, but to your point earlier about being able to give someone back their confidence, you know, with, with using the medications there, you know, that this I'm pointing to my head, my brain (laughs) is the biggest sexual organ that we have. And I, you know, there are so many people who have performance anxiety and, you know, they, they will say that by themselves, they have no troubles get getting hundred percent of an erection, but with this particular partner or, you know, whenever they're out on a date, you know, it's difficult. So, um, so if we can get them having erections, even with Viagra a few times, it kind of gives them back that confidence. And then they may not even need the Viagra later. Um, you know, premature ejaculation is another thing that, that, that kind of plays into that, that if they're having erectile dysfunction and they're worried they're going to lose their erection, well, then they might ejaculate too quickly. Absolutely. So if we can bypass that with a little bit of Cialis or Viagra, it can help better, you know, for, for delaying, um, ejaculation. So it's, um, it's so, I mean, it's all just kind of intertwined. It's not, although I will say on men, it is kind of usually more, a little more black and white. I should say people who own a penis, um, you know, it's a little more black and white and vaginas. It's more internal. It's a little bit more complex, but, um, but usually we're able, able to kind of delve out those issues and, and help them to the best that we can in this day and age. I mean, every, there's lots of research being done on all of this stuff. And thankfully, even on female function, 
female sexual dysfunction, um, there is lots of research being done on that. So hopefully in the next few years, we'll have lots of wonderful new things that we can offer everyone. I mean, it sounds like obviously it depends what's causing the ejaculating before someone wants to, but what do you see as maybe having been the most helpful thing in addressing that for folks? Like, is it, is it the psychological approach? Is it, I guess well, it I think a combination. It. Exactly. It's a combination of things. So what you have to offer them as a sex therapist with like the techniques that, and, and, um, talk therapy. I mean, all of that is so, so helpful. Yeah. For um, me, it's about like expanding the definition of sex. Like, okay. So let's say you only last this amount of time for penetration. What else can you do <laughs> before absolutely. that? I mean, when I ask patients about, are you sexually active? You know, and, and it's never like, are you having vaginal sex? It's, you know, is it, it, if it's penetrative, then we have to talk about things that can cause urinary tract infections. If it's clitoral sex, then we don't have to worry about that. If it's anal, then that can increase the risk for these infections. You know, these are the reasons I need to know um, about the, the type of sex you're having. But there's more than one way to have sex. You can have sex with yourself. You can have sex with others. And, you know, any of those things can help you to achieve the same goals. Um, but the other thing that really helps for premature, if it's an issue, um, is numbing of the penis. And there's another, um, there's a brand out there called Promescent that you can get over the counter on their website. And it's, um, and it's basically a topical that you would put on there for about 20 minutes before it's a little problematic because it's not as spontaneous. Um, and if it gets on your partner, well, then they're numb and then it affects their, <laughs> It usually yeah. you're supposed to wash it off before having uh, whatever kind of sex you're having. Um, but it, it can be very helpful for prolonging an erection and prolonging that ejaculation. And I guess the same for me, I have similar mixed feelings about that and the medication. Cause on one hand, it's like, isn't it great to have a tool that maybe shows you that you can do it and then lessens that anxiety loop and gets you, pulls you out of that anxiety loop. And on the other hand, sometimes Sometimes it's just addressing the symptom and not like what's really going on. But if well, the combination of both, I think, could be. I think really that that's what's important. And again, it it has to do with whether or not you and your partner feel like it's an issue. And mm -hmm. if you're, you know, if you and your partner don't feel like it's an issue, then it's not. Yeah, like um, if you're with someone who doesn't orgasm vaginally and doesn't care that much about penetration, like yes. who the fuck cares if you last exactly. for 30 seconds? It doesn't matter if you're like, able great, to fuck be or done. not. Get out. It doesn't matter. Exactly. <laughs> Let me share with you a little tidbit that I have um, yes. that I, you know, personally. Um, so I was in um, a relationship for a very long time where my partner had premature ejaculation. And of course, that wasn't an issue for me for a long time. I didn't care about penetrative sex and, um, you know, we, you know, oral sex, there were all kinds of things that, um, that, you know, week that I could have an orgasm with. And, um, but after a while, as I got older, I felt like it was, it was something that was important for me, but, but he wasn't willing to work on it. And so, um, you know, I mean, I think our, my values changed and, and he didn't want to work on it. And I remember talking to my ex-best friend and telling her, you know, I wish he lasted more than 30 seconds. That was only for me, for, my, for me at that time, that was important for me. And, um, and she said, oh, wow, I wish my 
partner lasted only that long. I wish you would get off of me. It's 30 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, now <laughs> it gets a little convoluted. Wait, are now they together? Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like saw that coming when you, you said ex best friend. And so she's the ex best friend. I mean, I guess friend. that's a better fit for them, right? And again, that's what it, sometimes that's what it's about is like finding the one that fits for you no matter what. And maybe someone fit fit for you for a certain amount of time and then it didn't and that's okay too you know it can just become like a normal part of our dating profiles where it's like i'm looking for someone who doesn't prefer penetration if you are like two minutes or less like hit me up and then the people who want more like let's just find the right fit same thing with penis size and vagina size it's just find your fit if there's a disparity it it can be painful exactly and so now i have found someone where it fits fantastically, you know? And so it's really, and it it doesn't mean that what worked at one point in your life is always going to work because as we age, our bodies change and you have to give yourself grace and you have to give yourself, I think, permission to be okay with whatever it is that you need at that time. You know, that's my personal story. I appreciate (laughs) you sharing the the personal thing. And it sounds like it's good. They found each other and that you found a better fit for you to say it in a PC way. Exactly. But I do briefly want to ask, because I I teach about this in some of my trainings and a lot of people don't know this. um, And I don't even know the real logistics of it, but the difference between orgasm and ejaculation for people with penises. Yeah. Yeah. So for people with penises, um, there are many surgeries, unfortunately, that we can do to someone with a penis. And I have to say a man, someone who's probably genetically male, but born with a prostate, um, because if we take away your prostate, either for prostate cancer or for difficulties urinating, then um, you may not have an ejaculate. The act of ejaculating means something actually coming out through the urethra. Um, and it's not the same as orgasm because many men after say surgery for prostate cancer, their prostate is gone. Um, they're able to still have an erection. They're able to still have the sensation of orgasm that release, which again, we don't always, we don't really understand hundred percent, but it's all those, those wonderful pleasure feelings that at the end, you know, the nerve endings are kind of all firing at the same time. They're able to have that release without an ejaculate, without something coming out, because now they've lost their prostate. And the a lot ejac- of people say when their prostate is gone, they're like, oh, now they can't have sex. That's absolutely not true. Um, unfortunately, it comes down to a lot of different things, though, in terms of um, who does their surgery, because in the old days, if they'd had a prostatectomy for prostate cancer, the nerves 100% would be gone. So not only would they be unable to have an erection, um, but they would be probably be leaking urine and all that. But in this day and age, we have now gotten to the point where there are so many people who do these surgeries. You know, they're, they're highly specialized. They do them robotically. They're able to spare the nerves. I don't do these surgeries because I, I'm very good at what I do, but I know when to refer. And so I will refer you know, men and women to other surgeons. If it's something that I feel is outside of my area of expertise, it's not helping them, you know, at all for me to be doing that surgery. But I have seen men who come to me from certain surgeons after prostatectomy for prostate cancer, who at a week are potent and continent. I mean, they're able to hold their urine. They're able to have a full erection. It's amazing. And so, no, it does not mean that at all. 
It used to mean that, but but not in this day and age. But so that's the difference between ejaculate. I hope I, I was kind of clear on that. Yeah, just the remembering that they can be separate. And there's another thing too. You don't have to have an erection to have an orgasm. You know, I have spinal I have I have spinal cord injured patients who, you know, they orgasm very well without having an erection. And um, other men who, as they get older, you know, they lose their erections, but they're able to masturbate or have their partner perform oral sex on them. And they're still able to ejaculate and or have an orgasm. So, yeah, you know, soft penis sex, try it. Exactly. It. It's, it, it's a thing. <laughs> and so, you know, it's on the only thing that you need to have an erection for is penetrative sex. If you need to penetrate an organ, then yes, you need to have an erection. But other than that, um, you know, it's, it's not absolutely necessary. So there are these toys I found where you can put your flaccid penis in a penis, like okay. a hard penis shell. Okay. So it almost feels like a, like a masturbatory sleeve for the person putting their penis in it so that you can penetrate your partner even if you are flaccid. That's awesome. But like you said, there's no, you know, there's so many other ways to experience pleasure and orgasm besides penetration with a soft penis, not even using your penis, like whatever. But um, before we wrap up, I would be remiss if we didn't spend a few minutes talking about the prostate because I'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of healthy prostates. Okay. (laughs) Um, So hopefully a lot of people listening know what that is. But for people who don't know, what is the prostate and what is that? Uh, P-spot injection and how can that help? So the prostate is uh, a little organ that sits like a donut around the urethra. It's just at the base of the bladder. Or and people with is, penises. Um, yes, with people with penises. So they're born with it. You're born with that um, if you are XY. And, um, and then that organ is teeny tiny at birth. And then at puberty, it will grow into, if you have testosterone at puberty, then it grows into about, uh, the size of a walnut and it, and it wraps around the urethra. And then as you age, that organ gets bigger. We don't really know why it's just a thing that I guess noses get bigger as we get older. And and other things get smaller as we get older, but, um, but the prostate gets bigger. Um, and so it, it is the organ that makes most of the fluid that comes out uh, when a man ejaculates because that is, uh, it makes about 30% actually of the fluid that comes out with ejaculation. 70% comes from the organs that live on top of the prostate called the seminal vesicles. And only a very tiny, maybe two to three percent of the fluid actually comes from the testicles. And so that's another thing that when men have vasectomies, they're very worried that the prostate, that the ejaculate volume is going to go down. And it's not even really measurable after a vasectomy because only two to three percent actually even comes from the testicles. But then the prostate, as it gets bigger, then uh, men might have more difficulties urinating, difficulties getting started, difficulties emptying completely. Um, they may need a catheter because they can't pee. That's the, the final end result. Uh, but the nerves that go to the penis travel right along that prostate. They're welded right alongside that prostate. The sensory nerves, the functional nerves. And again, this is only anatomy that we've learned in the last 40 to 50 years. It's amazing that that we didn't know this before, even though cadavers have been dissected for hundreds of years. 
I mean, I'm sure someone figured it out not scientifically before 50 years ago, <laughs> but they were like, this is awesome. But now yeah, there's no perhaps, science. Perhaps a finger in the anus does wonders or even just on the perineum, you know, for prostate pleasure. The perineum is that area, the taint but between the, the testicles and the anus. Um, but so, you know, meds that affect the prostate can definitely affect sexual function, surgeries that affect the prostate can affect sexual function, and then hormones, you know, all, all those kinds of things. So what we were talking about earlier, though, about the P-shot is actually PRP that goes into the penis, that goes on the side into the corpus cavernosum, which is, those are the fungi bodies on the side of the penis that help with an erection. And that helps to regenerate nerve endings and blood vessels and those kinds of things uh, in the penis. So that can be super helpful all along with Gaines wave, the shock waves. It's pretty amazing. I love this field, the regenerative urology stuff that's all coming out. Last question before we wrap up. Um, yes. Do you work with any uh, trans folks? And if not, are there urologists who specialize in trans urology? So I would welcome trans patients in my practice if they wanted kind of basic stuff for sexual function and for hormonal management. Um, I think though most trans patients are better served in a center that really specializes, you know, in that, especially if they're pre-op, but I, I welcome them in my practice. I would love to help them because, I mean, I think there's no one better than a urologist who can understand, you know, both, both sets of organs, whatever you were born with and whatever you're choosing to have. Um, and so there are, I've examined women who have prostates, you know, they're, they're phenotypically women, but they still have a prostate. I, I should say female, phenotypically female, um, but they still have a prostate. So they need, still need to be checked for prostate cancer. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there are certain issues that, that need to be still handled. And, but, but there are, um, urologists who specialize in trans patients and trans people and probably more like, um, in LA where you are, um, or maybe even in the San Francisco area, but I would welcome seeing them in my practice. I hope that in the future it becomes a, um, a general thing for all urologists to learn about, but I'm, I'm yes. so grateful for, for you and for the work that you do and for your willingness to come on and be so open. How can people find you, hire you, um, check out Thank what you're you. doing? Well, thank you for having me. This was so fun. And um, if you'd like to find me, go to my website. It's drgabal.com, D-R-G-A-B-A-L.com. Um, or you just Google female urology in Orange County. I'm one of very few that are there. And I know I've had male you know, and female patients, both who maybe prefer seeing a woman. We have smaller fingers than the guys, whether that's a good or bad thing. I don't know, but, um, but it's a gimmick. Everyone's got to have a gimmick. So <laughs> perfect. Thank you so much for joining. Um, again, Thank if you, you. want to follow what I'm doing, I'm on Instagram at sluts and scholars on Twitter at sluts scholars and available anywhere you get your podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening. And if you have the time, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you.